0: Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Athletic clothing giant Adidas is dropping its partnership with billionaire Kanye West over his recent comments on social media. Midterm election updates from voter intimidation to some of the key debates and the latest efforts to keep election integrity in check. A conservative watchdog says Google ranks websites for some candidates higher in the search results others. President Biden gets a third booster and urges Americans to get a COVID vaccine once every year. It comes after he said the pandemic is over and as the CDC notes Americans' waning interest in boosters. What an energy industry insider predicts for the future of the strategic petroleum reserve after Biden's oil releases brought the stash to a near 40-year low. And newly appointed British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak vows to fix what he calls the mistakes made under his predecessor Liz Truss. (music) Athletic clothing giant Adidas is dropping its partnership with Kanye West, also known as Ye. The move is over his recent comments on social media. In a tweet earlier this month, Ye said he was going, quote, death con three on Jewish people. Adidas said in a statement today that it didn't tolerate anti Semitism or any other kind of hate speech. The German sporting goods maker said it had put its partnership with Ye under review early this month amid public pressure. The company says it has now stopped production and sales of all Yeezy branded products. This was less than a month after Ye terminated his partnership with clothing brand Gap. French fashion line Balenciaga has also cut ties with him in recent weeks. Twitter and Meta have also locked Ye's social media accounts over his remarks. In response to being blocked, Ye announced that he had signed a deal to purchase the social media platform Parler. And turning now to the midterms, which are just two weeks away. Arizona's Secretary of State referred voter intimidation cases to law enforcement on Monday. And multiple debates tonight in key races. NTD's Arlene Richards has the updates.
1: Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs has been busy this past week, fielding calls from voters who feel threatened at the ballot box. Hobbs referred six reports of alleged voter intimidation to the state attorney general and the U.S. Justice Department on Monday. Also, at least one allegation of assault on an election worker. Hop said in a statement, voter intimidation is illegal and no voter should feel threatened or intimidated when trying to vote. The Maricopa County Elections Department said two people camped out at drop boxes on Friday, KNXVTV reported. They were allegedly armed with weapons and wearing tactical gear and masks. knxv also reported another Maricopa voter complained he was filmed while submitting a ballot in a drop box. The complaint said the voter was accused of being a mule. Attorney General Merrick Garland vowed to protect voters.
2: Justice Department has an obligation to prevent, uh, to guarantee a free uh, and fair uh, vote by everyone who is qualified to vote uh, and will not permit uh, voters to be intimidated.
1: In Pennsylvania, Colorado and Michigan, candidates in key races get on the debate stage Tuesday. Pennsylvania's Democratic Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman debates Republican Dr. Mehmet Oz in a competitive U.S. Senate race. The two candidates will face off in this one and only debate. Fetterman, who suffered a stroke in May, will likely be questioned about his health. But he still holds a thin lead over Oz, who is trailing by six percentage points, according to a USA Today poll. The one-hour debate airs on local Nexstar stations at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Michigan's Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Republican Tudor Dixon go head-to-head in their second debate. Whitmer's lead over Dixon is narrowing, according to a Detroit Free Press poll. Whitmer leads Dixon by 11 percentage points, down from 16 points in September. The live one-hour debate will be held at Oakland University in Rochester at 7 p.m. Eastern. In another U.S. Senate race, Colorado Democratic Senator Michael Bennett debates Republican Joe O'Day. In a Marist, Colorado poll, Bennett leads O'Day by seven percentage points. The live one-hour debate will be held at Colorado State University at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. The stakes are high in Nevada's Senate race with Democratic U.S. Senator Catherine Cortez Masto and Republican challenger Adam Laxalt neck and neck. Many polls showed the candidates just a percentage point or two apart. The winner could determine which party controls the Senate. Laxalt was endorsed by former President Trump, and former President Barack Obama plans to rally for Cortez Masto. The Republican National Committee has filed 73 lawsuits on election issues this year. In one case, a New York judge struck down a law that would have added non-citizens to voter rolls. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York.
0: And over to Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis met his Democratic opponent, Charlie Crist, on the debate stage last night. One of the key issues was DeSantis's potential plans for the 2024 election.
3: The one-hour debate between Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Democratic challenger Charlie Crist started out fierce and didn't let up. During the debate, Crist persistently claimed that DeSantis would run for president in 2024. He pressed the governor on the issue.
4: Yes or no, Ron? Will you serve a full four-year term if you're re-elected governor of Florida?
5: It's in not a time. tough question. It's a fair question. He won't tell you.
3: Here's how DeSantis replied.
6: I know that Charlie's interested in talking about 2024 and Joe Biden, but I just want to make things very, very clear. The only worn-out old donkey I'm looking to put out the pasture is Charlie Chris. <laughs>
3: DeSantis says if re-elected, he'll fix Florida's property insurance crisis, make teacher salary hikes permanent, and eliminate sales tax on baby items and pet food. Christ is a former congressman who resigned in August this year. He served as Florida's attorney general from 2003 to 2007, and as Florida's governor as a Republican from 2007 to 2011, before switching parties. The two candidates also battled over topics like abortion, illegal immigration, crime, education, and vaccine mandates.
4: You can change policy and do what's right to secure the border by having comprehensive immigration reform. That's what I voted for in Congress.
6: It's sad that it comes to this, but what we did put this issue front and center. Uh, I think we need to reinstitute Remain in Mexico, and I think we need to secure the border because the fentanyl is absolutely out of control.
3: And on the issue of illegal immigration, a new poll by Mason Dixon Polling and Strategy studied Latino voters in Florida. The poll found that Latino voters supported DeSantis' decision to send illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard 50% to 43%. The same poll also found DeSantis leading Christ by seven percentage points among Latino voters. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News.
0: And a new report claims Google is manipulating search results against Republicans. The report is by the Media Research Center, or MRC. MRC has been described as a conservative-leaning media watchdog. Google denies all of the Media Research Center's claims. It says that it would never manipulate search results to disadvantage any political ideology. The MRC analyzed 12 of the most important Senate races, the races that are most likely to decide which side gets the power. It googled each candidate's name, followed by the words, Senate Race 2022. It found that the campaign sites for 10 of the Republicans were significantly lower on the results page compared to their Democratic opponents. The MRC says seven of the Republicans' websites didn't even show up on the first page. In contrast, eight of the Democratic candidates' websites were within the first six results. The Media Research Center says Congress should investigate Google's alleged search result bias and all efforts to influence the midterm elections. And President Biden today got his third COVID-19 booster shot while urging Americans to get one every year. How does that fit with what he said a month ago that the pandemic is now over? NTD's Iris Tau has more from the White House. In
7: front of rolling cameras, Biden once again getting jabbed, and he urges Americans to do the same on a yearly basis.
4: Our nation's health experts recommend that they get the updated COVID vaccine once a year. In other words, it's just like the flu shot.
7: Biden asked that Americans are still being hospitalized and winter months could bring more COVID cases and deaths. And that comes after he said this just about a month ago.
4: The pandemic is over.
7: And Biden today also urged Congress to pass more pandemic funding. But he was questioned whether COVID is still a national emergency. The president, however, did not give a clear answer. Mr. President. Is COVID still a
4: national emergency? It's a necessity to deal with making sure it to come on.
7: And on that front, John Leake, who co-authored a book called The Courage to Face COVID-19, tells me that he thinks the story seems to be constantly changing here.
4: It's completely incoherent. He himself declared the pandemic is over. At the same time, the, emergent, the official emergency has not been revoked, so there's that contradiction.
7: Lee also points to some of the concerning reports about the vaccine that he's been seeing.
4: Young athletes collapse on the field, and it's represented in the media as a mystery. I would like to ask the president, is he aware of these incidents?
7: The shot Biden got today was the so-called updated bivalent booster, which is said to target the original virus strain and two Omicron subvariants. But after it's rolled out about two months ago, only about 10% of those eligible have chosen to get it. And that comes as recent CDC data shows that interest in boosters is declining with each additional shot. Yet Biden today saying Americans should continue getting boosted.
4: And if you don't, you're putting yourself and other people on necessary risk.
7: Meanwhile, a New York Supreme Court on Monday struck down New York City's vaccine mandate for all city workers, which have seen over 2,000 city employees fired. The judge called the mandate arbitrary and capricious, while citing Biden's remarks that the pandemic is over. And Biden today was asked if he thinks the ruling was a mistake. No, I don't
4: think. uh, That's
5: a local judgment.
0: Reporting in Washington, D.C., Irish Tao, NTD News. The judge also ordered back pay for all employees fired by the city. Despite the ruling, New York City is keeping the mandate in place and filing an appeal. And Questions over President Biden's recent decision to release more oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve as the U.S.'s stockpile hits a near 40-year low and diesel reserves also dwindle. Earlier today, I spoke with an oil investor, Jay Young. The founder and president of King Operating Corporation, Young says he believes Biden is reducing the strategic reserve at the wrong time and for the wrong reasons. Jay Young, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us.
5: Hey, thank you Stephanie.
0: Now the strategic petroleum reserve is at its lowest level since 1984. Some are accusing President Biden of drawing on the reserves for political gain, which the president has denied, but you're calling it a Ponzi scheme. Could you explain
5: i do i do call it a ponzi scheme because we're just inflating barrels that aren't really there we need to be drilling for oil in the united states we're not drilling like we should be and normally when prices do go up this long you have a really big huge increase in activity which you haven't seen this time because of of federal government state governments institutions public companies aren't coming back these people aren't coming back to drilling so all we see is it's like musical chairs right at the end of the day when 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 we look for oil and at the end of the election or at the after the election november december january next year when we're looking for all these barrels of oil and the music stops we're simply not going to have it because it's not there because all biden has done is taken the oil out of the the strategic reserve and put it on the market so everybody thinks we're okay no we're not okay and no it won't be good after the election for consumers trying to drive or heat their homes or all the other things that go on it's not going to be very good
0: the administration says it will refill the reserve when prices drop to 67 to 72 dollars per barrel what factors could impact this plan and, and what do you think of the plan
5: well I mean, number one, I don't know whether they think they're going to get the oil. We're, we're simply not making enough oil in the United States. We need 20 million barrels a day. We're only producing 13. So we're, we're, we, need, we still need 7 million from other countries. So it's not just so easy, oh, well, we're going to go replace this oil. You're not going to find it. Where are you going to find it? There's not much oil out there. Nobody has the 180 million barrels, Joe, that you've taken out of our strategic reserve. Nobody has that oil just sitting around so you can go replace it at a cheaper price.
0: And the U.S. only has about two weeks of diesel stockpiles left. What kind of risk does this impose on the U.S.?
5: Yeah, well, hopefully, I mean, fortunately, hopefully, we don't don't go to war because this is what that strategic reserve oil is all used for, 700 million barrels of oil, give or take. And we've taken a third of that and used it for political reasons and driven the price down for the at the pump, just with, and I'm not sure how well we're doing that, but that's the that, that's the kind of the idea behind the Biden administration. Global demand is going up. Supply is so, so sensitive that we're going to see higher prices really, really soon. And I'm just hoping that people don't go to the, go to the pump before they go to the election and go, oh, okay, well, I'm paying 10 cents less than I did last week. I'll vote Democrat. You know, don't look at that because that price is going to skyrocket after the election because we don't have the oil necessary vote for whoever you want to. And it's a, it's a free country. I understand, but, but just don't look at that as your, as your reason why, you know, just because you pay a little bit less at the pump, don't go vote Democrat just because you think that they've got this thing figured out, man. They, they don't, and they won't for a long, long period of time.
0: All right. Jay Young, founder and president of King Operating Corporation, appreciate your time.
5: Thanks, Debbie. thank you.
0: Coming up, Brazil's runoff elections are happening this weekend. We take a closer look at left-leaning candidate Lula and his past. And in basketball news, Brittany Griner's appeal was heard today with her legal team hoping to reduce her nine-year sentence. NTD's Dave Martin has the story, that and more after this short break. Rishi Sunak has been formally appointed Britain's prime minister following Liz Truss's short yet tumultuous premiership. In reshuffling the ca- cabinet, Sunak is appointing ministers who both supported and opposed him in the recent leadership contests. NTD's Malcolm Hudson sent us this report.
8: In his first speech as newly appointed prime minister, Rishi Sunak braced the nation for difficult decisions to come. His tenure follows the short 49 days of Liz Truss that were marked by economic policy U-turns with devastating political consequences. I want to pay tribute to my predecessor, Liz Truss. She was not wrong to want to improve growth in this country, but some mistakes were made. And I have been elected as leader of my party and your prime minister, in part, to fix them. Sunak said he will put economic stability and confidence at the heart of his government's agenda and warned it means there will be difficult decisions to come. He conducted a wide-ranging reshuffle of the cabinet, removing 11 of Truss's ministers from government. Among them is now former business secretary Jacob Rees-Mogg, a loyalist of Boris Johnson. Jeremy Hunt, who U-turned Truss's economic policies, stays on as chancellor. Ben Wallace similarly remains defence secretary, Dominic Raab returns as Justice Minister and Deputy Prime Minister. He had acted in those roles under Johnson, but was removed from Cabinet under Truss. It seems Sunak is appointing MPs who supported him, as well as ones who previously backed Truss or Johnson, in an attempt to unite the party. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News, London.
0: Over to Brazil. The country's presidential elections are getting closer. Current President Bolsonaro heads one of the last right-leaning governments in South America. Today, we take a look at his challenger, Lula.
2: Brazil's Luis Inacio Lula da Silva, better known as Lula, is challenging President Jair Bolsonaro in this year's presidential elections. Lula, who is with the Workers' Party, used to be president of Brazil. From 2003 to 2011, he and the Workers' Party were involved in two major corruption scandals in recent years. Lula ended up being imprisoned on corruption charges, but was ultimately freed. NTD spoke with Paulo Figueiredo, a political commentator and journalist for one of Brazil's largest media outlets. He says the justices who got Lula out of prison were mostly appointed by Lula himself or the Workers' Party.
6: They invalidated all his trials, and he uh, was supposed to be judged again. But under Brazilian law, he was too old to be punished by these crimes, so he walked away.
2: Figueiredo says after Lula was freed, the media and others rebranded him. He has made a huge comeback since and is now wildly popular.
6: People decided to, I don't know, forget what happened in Brazil.
2: In the 90s, Brazil's Workers' Party started what's called the Sao Paulo Forum, a conference of Latin American left-wing political parties. Infamous figures such as Fidel Castro, Maduro, and others took part in it. Figueiredo says Lula has very strong ties to those leaders whose policies failed their countries. He predicts the same will happen in Brazil if Lula is elected.
6: The problem is that once the left takes over, it's very, the, the process of empowerment and of social disruption is, is fairly quick. So it, it takes a long time to build a house. To destroy the house, it takes just a couple of days. There's no way to fix Venezuela anymore. Probably there's no way to fix Argentina anymore because the social relationships... We're completely disrupted. People don't trust each other anymore.
2: We also spoke with Joel Pinheiro, an economist and columnist for one of Brazil's largest newspapers. He says that Lula's history as former president proves that Brazil won't change for the worse if he gets elected.
4: Right before he was elected, there were great fears that he would um, push Brazil into a left-wing populist trajectory, especially regarding the economy. And that simply did not happen. He
2: turned out to be quite pragmatic. Pinheiro says the corruption investigations which landed Lula in jail didn't just involve the Workers' Party.
4: The parties which had the largest number
8: of investigated and convicted politicians are now part of
2: Bolsonaro's base. Pinheiro also says many justices who voted to put Lula behind bars were appointed by Lula himself. Brazil's runoff presidential elections will take place this Sunday. Reporting by Ariane Pastar, NTD News.
0: And now over to sports news, here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories.
4: Brittany Griner had her appeal heard today, but it didn't go well for the eight-time WNBA All-Star. Her guilty conviction was upheld, which is expected. But her legal team, which had a five-year sentence is more typical of a case like hers, was unable to lower her nine-year sentence. The court did say, however, that every Dre in pretrial detention will count as one and a half days in prison, giving the 32-year-old roughly eight more years in detention. Meanwhile, the U.S. State Department, which previously said they've offered Russia a deal to bring Greiner home via a prisoner swap said on Monday they've had active discussions in recent days.
2: Our imperative is to see Paul Whelan and Brittany Griner returned home. We are not going to do anything to say anything publicly uh, that could impair that ability.
4: In World Cup news, a Spanish man who's been walking from Madrid to Qatar for the World Cup has gone missing since the day after he crossed into Iran three weeks ago. Santiago Sanchez, who's an experienced trekker, former paratrooper and major soccer fan, was documenting his trip on his popular Instagram account. But his parents say they haven't heard from him since October 2nd, the day after he crossed the Iran-Iraq border. They then reported him missing on October 17. Santiago said the purpose of his journey was to learn how others live before reaching the World Cup. And in the NHL tonight, 10 games are on the schedule, including the Stanley Cup champion Avalanche taking on the Rangers at Madison Square Garden. Meanwhile, the NBA has four games this evening, highlighted by a Suns-Warriors matchup, which could be a preview of the Western Conference Finals. That's a wrap for sports. Back to you, Steph.
0: Thanks, Dave. And now, an eight-year-old could be the youngest to scale one of the Yosemite's iconic rock formations. But he's not climbing alone. His dad will be with him for the entire adventure.
1: He's most excited to climb with daddy. Eight-year-old Sam Baker from Colorado is set to be the youngest to climb El Capitan in California's Yosemite Park with his dad, Joe. It will take about four days to scale the captain. They started their journey on Monday.
2: Uh, basically, there's very few ledges. And so, um, you know, we're going to have to bring up portal ledges, which are like nylon cots that you hang on the side of the wall. And uh, it's, uh, it's just a big adventure, a big family adventure.
1: In Joe's Facebook post, he said his son has wanted to climb the wall for two years. They will bring everything they need for the next few days, including hundreds of pounds of water. Joe says people talk about the danger, but he believes the rewards outweigh the risks. El Capitan's vertical rock formation stands about 3,000 feet tall, two and a half times as tall as the Empire State Building, or more than three times as high as the Eiffel Tower. It's a popular attraction among rock climbers.
0: And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.